you know, the next month, I kept on saying to my wife over and over again, you know, that I don't know how anybody could survive something like this if they didn't believe in the sovereignty of God, or if they didn't know about God's daily grace, or if they didn't know about the empathy of God, or about the presence of God, or have the hope of heaven, or believe in the second coming of Christ. And ultimately, like I was citing doctrines, I was citing biblical truths that um, that I was finding to be absolutely essential to surviving. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Cameron Cole. Cameron serves as Director of Youth Ministries at the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, and is the Chairman of Rooted, a ministry dedicated to fostering gospel-centered student ministry. He's also the author of Therefore I Have Hope, 12 Truths That Comfort, Sustain, and Redeem in Tragedy from Crossway. Today, Cameron and I discuss the unexpected death of his three-year-old son, Cam. He shares about the initial shock when he first heard the terrible news, recalls the thoughts and questions that filled his mind in the days, weeks, and months following, and reflects on how that tragedy and all the suffering that it entailed has ultimately strengthened his hope in God rather than destroyed it. Let's get started. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So in November of uh, 2013, something happened to you and your family and something that you called your worst nightmare. Uh, But before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your family at that time. Right. At that time in 2013, I had my wife, Lauren. Uh, and I had been married back in 2007. We had our first child, Cameron, in 2010. He's named after me. He's Richard Cameron Cole Jr. And then we had our daughter, Mary Matthews Cole, which, you know, with a name like Mary Matthews Cole, you know that she's from Birmingham, Alabama. (laughs) Solid, solid deep south, southern name. Uh, But anyhow, she was born in 2012. So yeah, November 2013, uh, Cam was three years old, and Mary Matthews um, was just about to turn one. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing at the time for your work? Yeah, so I've, I've been in a youth ministry since 2005. So at that time, I was a youth director at a, at, the, at a church. I've been in the same church for 15 years. And so, yeah, I was working with students and sharing the gospel and teaching the Bible and uh, was just very, very into youth ministry and particularly gospel-centered youth ministry. Hmm. And I think probably many, if not all of us, have contemplated something you call our worst, kind of the worst thing that could happen to you or your family. We've all kind of had those thoughts, and um, they're often not very pleasant thoughts, but we have them nonetheless. And uh, in your book, you talk about how your worst had two parts to it. So I wonder if you could just explain what were those two parts? Yeah, you're right. So I think any parent, you know, will tell you that their worst nightmare um, is the death of their child. And so I had that as, you know, a worst, but that wasn't it. You know, I have, I I became a Christian in uh, 1988 when I was uh, eight years old, going to the third grade. And I, you know, I I really had a very easy life. Um, You know, I'm, white American male, parents are financially comfortable, school and sports and friends came easy. I got into the college I wanted to go to, the graduate school I wanted to go into, or wanted to go to, and, you know, had a really cute wife and had pretty kids and, 
uh, and it's kind of, I kind of had this fear all along the way of like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I truly believe in and follow Jesus. But I mean, of course I do. Like if you're me, if you've had a life like I've had, then of course you believe that God's good. And of course you accept all the promises of the gospel. Um, and I, I worried, you know, what would happen if something really bad happened to me? Uh, and so I really worried about losing my faith, um, that something really tragic would happen. I'd lose my faith. And then I'd be a huge disappointment and a huge sellout um, to the students that I'd been telling about Jesus for all these years and telling about the promises of the gospel. And then if I were to lose my faith, like what would that, what would that do to them? And so I would kind of go to that next level of my worst. What is the thing I think that can cause me to lose my faith? And I always identified like the loss of my oldest child. Um, that thought I would have had nightmare, you know, he gets hit by a car or something happens and I like become angry and bitter and turn my back on God and walk away. And yeah, so that, that's kind of, you know, my, my worst nightmare. That's, um, that was mine right there. So had you, uh, seen other Christians in your life who had sort of gone through, um, some kind of really difficult trial or suffering and, you know, lost their faith or been really shaken in their faith? Yeah. You know, and I can't like, I can't like identify specific people who were like close to me, but sure. I can remember being in college and uh, talking to someone who said that, you know, they had been a Christian, but they no longer believed. And, uh, I can remember him saying, you know, God has just disappointed me too many times. And, um, and, you know, and he'd had a trauma in his life and he's like, I can't, you know, I just can't believe or follow anymore. And so, uh, I think you hear a lot of people and their justification for why they don't believe is that they've had a, a suffering or a tragedy of some sort where they say, I, I just I just can't believe in a God who would let this happen. Or, you know, I, I thought that God loved me, but, you know, this happened and surely, surely he doesn't really love me if he would let this occur. Let me, this occur and allow me to be in so much pain. And so, yeah, I think that might've been a seed that was planted um, that kind of created that, that, you know, f- expectation or fear. Mm. So then describe what happened um, on that November day in 2013. Sure. Yeah. So my, um, uh, on uh, November the 10th, 2013, um, my uh, little boy, Cameron, he and I were, we were playing with Legos and he lost his Lego axe. And so he asked if we could pray and asked Jesus to help find his Lego axe. And so we prayed and we found it. He said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he started to ask a lot of questions out of nowhere about heaven. He said, you know, can we go see Jesus today? I was like, well, you know, you can't go see Jesus today. Like he's with us, but you know, you, you can't, you can't actually see him. He said, well, can we get in the car and go see Jesus? I was like, well, you know, you'll see him when you go to heaven. Um, but until then, you know, we just, we, we just trust according to God's word that he's here. So he started to, you know, he said, well, am I going to see Adam and Eve in heaven? I'm like, well, yeah, it seems like God forgives their sins. And, he, and then he pledged in the conversation, I'm not going to eat from the tree. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat that fruit. We're like, buddy, everybody eats the fruit. Like we all we eat the fruit every single day. You know, that's, that's, that's sin. And um, that's why Jesus came. And, and he said, you know, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for my sins. And that was really the last conversation I ever had with him. Uh, that night I went on a camp out. Um, he was perfectly healthy. And I got, uh, you know, had like three missed calls from my wife the next morning. And then the fourth one was coming in and I took it and she's told me, you've got to get to Children's Hospital as soon as possible. And 
there was just a voice of terror. And I was like, what's going on? And she's like, I, I can't tell you, you just got to get to the hospital. And I was like, honey, I can't drive 45 minutes, not, you know, having no idea what's going on. Like what is like, what is going on? And, um, she said, Cameron is dead. Uh, and you know, it was just like, she had found him dead in his bed, which is extremely rare for a child over the age of one, uh, to die in their sleep. People are familiar with SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, which, um, you know, it's not frequent, but it's not terribly uncommon. Um, but that that's for children under the age of one. Mm. After the age of one, the likelihood that a child um, will die in their sleep is like less than one in 100,000 between age one and 18. And so, um, but that is what had happened. And, you know, his, his death was uh, characterized as sudsy, which means sudden, unexplained death in childhood, which really doesn't mean anything. It's just like a, a term they have. I guess so that parents can have a diagnosis, but it really means, you know, we don't have an answer. Mm. And so, um, so this was kind of the moment of truth. You know, I'd kind of expected and anticipated that I would walk away from God if this very thing happened. I was just really surprised by what, um, by what the Lord, uh, kind of led me to. I think the, the thing that came out of my mouth was, uh, Jesus died on, Jesus rose from the grave and that means that God's good. And then, you know, this doesn't change that fact that, mm. you know, that, that Cameron has died does not change the fact that God's good because Jesus rose from the dead. And so, you know, it was, it was like the opposite of what I expected. And I, I, I was kind of like confirming or affirming the, the veracity of the gospel promises and really believing that God was good. And, you know, I had a 45 minute drive to the, hospital with my one of my best friends driving and i just kept on i was in total shock but i kept on saying over and over again just spiritual truths and i was texting people and telling them what had happened i said you know god is uh christ is king god is good this doesn't change that fact and so i you know i just found over time that god had actually been preparing me for this hmm. um i hadn't had a whole lot of personal trials prepare me but what where, where god had prepared me is he'd prepared me theologically he'd prepare me for his for you know through his word and so in you know, the next month i kept on saying to my wife over and over again uh you know that i don't know how anybody could survive something like this if they didn't believe in the sovereignty of god or if they didn't know about god's daily grace or if they didn't know about the empathy of god or about the presence of god or have the hope of heaven or believe in the second coming of christ and ultimately, like I was saying, I was saying, I was citing doctrines, I was citing biblical truths that um, that I was finding to be absolutely essential to surviving, and um, and so that is kind of the basis of the book. Therefore, I have hope. It was after a month of like citing doctrine after doctrine, I finally wrote wrote them all down on a sheet of paper, and then I kind of wrote out a personal confession where I kind of applied all those promises to my situations. Like, you know, God is sovereign. Everything happens through his perfect discretion. That means my son's death is not an accident and it's not meaningless. Um, and so that, yeah, that's the story of, of how Cam passed away there on uh, November the 11th, 2013. And um, how, you know, my worst nightmare in a sense did come true. And 
in another sense, it did not come true. It did come true that my son died. It did not come true in the sense of I did not lose my faith. And I found from there on, including now, you know, here I am almost seven years later, um, I still, like my confidence in Christ and my love for him and my joy in Christ continues to increase. Mm. So yeah, yeah, you say you're kind of in the immediate aftermath of hearing the news, even on that drive back um, to the hospital. And then in the coming following weeks, uh, yeah, God's sovereignty, God's goodness was a comfort to you. But even with that, have there been moments um, since Cam died that you have questioned either God's sovereignty or goodness, or that those have just been harder maybe to swallow than maybe they initially were? Yeah, I think uh, in, in the immediate aftermath, um, it, it wasn't that like Cam died and then my life was really easy for uh, you know the next two years. There were a lot of other things that happened in the next year that were awful. Like I, I've said that even if Cam had not died, 2013, 2014, going into 2015, it's still, it still would have been the worst time of my entire life. I mean, just some, some different, like very stressful, dramatic situations. A friend who died from cancer. Uh, there were just all kinds of, uh, all kinds of difficulties. And so I would say that, you know, I, had, I got some good advice from someone who said, look, you know, that your son has died. Don't think that life is just all of a sudden going to get easy because you know more things might happen. Uh, and mm. I did find myself getting angry, kind of like, "Hey God, like I have paid my dues here. You know, if there's if there's a certain amount of pain we got to go through, like I've I've I have done my time, and this is this is not fair. Like lay off. I need a break. I deserve a break. Uh, as more bad things kept on happening, and so. Uh, that was a time, I guess, you know, really what I was doing there was kind of questioning God's goodness. And I was forgetting my sinfulness, you know. <laughs> I, I was kind of carrying this sense of entitlement that, um, hey, look, I, you know, I don't deserve this. When in reality, you know, in our sin, uh, we only deserve God's judgment. <laughs> That's all we deserve. We, we don't deserve any, any, any comfort, any grace, any goodness from God. And so, yeah, I mean, that, and that ultimately was what would rescue me from those moments. Um, was uh, remembering my own sin. I think that was, uh, you know, the the sin chapter, I think it's one of the most important chapters of that book. And it was one of the hardest to write because, you know, it's, here's, you know, I, I wouldn't say this face to face to someone who was going through a tragedy, someone who just lost a child. Uh, it's, it's, it's much better to be able to say this to people before something bad happens. But, you know, uh, from a proactive standpoint, we all need to understand that the second that we sin, we deserve to be in hell. That's just, that's just a biblical reality. And so if we're not in hell right now, it's because of God's mercy. It's because of his grace. And if we have any kind of blessings in this life, all of it is grace. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it is a product of God's grace. Uh, and so you got to have a biblical view of sin. And the Bible is hard-nosed on sin and hard-nosed on the consequence of sin. Um, because uh, one of the most dangerous things that can happen to a person is to get bitter. And that bitterness comes from a false sense of entitlement, thinking, I deserve better. You owe me God when the gospel tells us he doesn't owe us anything. Mm. Uh, he, yeah, he doesn't owe us a thing as a result of our sin. And so... 
Um, that's not to say that, you know, that God's punishing us when bad things happen, because that's, that's also heresy. Uh, that, you know, that, that's, that's not belief in the gospel because Jesus was punished on our behalf on the cross. So I don't want to be, you know, misheard. God's not punishing us when bad things happen. And, um, you know, if Jesus, who lived a perfect life, was not spared from insane suffering, then we as sinners, uh, you know, we, we certainly are not entitled to any kind of comfort. Well, it seems like oftentimes people shy away from doctrines like God's God's sovereignty over even suffering and um, uh, loss and all of that, in, in part because they're trying to protect God from sort of having to be in some way responsible for that. They're trying to say, you know, God, God wasn't, uh, God's not fault for your son dying. That was something else, or it was just random, or a result of just sin in the abstract. Um, but you're kind of saying that those are, that's actually uh, that's actually not helpful for the person. So, so how how would you respond to somebody who's saying, "I'm trying to protect God's goodness. Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, And I think that's ultimately going to be more helpful to believe in a God who is who is good in that he would never willingly allow something like this to happen. Yeah, you know, I, I, I cite this and, and therefore I have hope, but, you know, the story that kind of stands out to me on this is being at a funeral where there had been a suicide and the pastor saying to the family, you know, one thing you need to know is God didn't have anything to do with this. And I, I just like, just have no idea how unhelpful that is to that family. Um, I, you know, it's, first off, it's kind of funny that people think they need to, to like protect God, like God is this defenseless, um, you know, wimp and God, God can defend himself. Like God is a, a big boy understatement of the century. Um, like he's, you know, the almighty God. And, you know, the reality is like the cross is probably the most helpful thing to help us understand that God is both sovereign and good. Those two things can coexist. It doesn't seem like that, you know, in our minds as human beings, you know, we have limitations as people. Um, but like you see on the cross that the ultimate communication of God's goodness, that he's giving his son over to die for us. That he shows us that he's for us, that he loves us. He like chooses us over his son. And at the same time, like it is clearly by God's sovereignty that, that Jesus ends up on the cross. I mean, uh, Jesus, it's not an accident. Jesus, Jesus is a victim of injustice in the sense that he is, you know, killed unjustly by people He's really murdered and tortured. Um, and at the same time, like Jesus says to his disciples, you know, when he takes the turn to Jerusalem and all the gospels, and he says, look, I got to go die. It's time for me to go die. And the disciples resisted. No way. You can't do this. It's not part of the plan. And Jesus is like, no, this is the plan. You know, like Jesus, uh, you know, in, under, in, within submitting to the sovereign discretion and sovereign direction of the Lord God, he goes to Jerusalem and it is by God's sovereign discretion that Jesus dies on the cross. So you have God's sovereignty and God's goodness right there in the clearest picture of God's love and God's character that we have in all of scripture. And so, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't want to create a God of our own understanding uh, that there's a real danger in that one, because it's false. And I think, you know, in good times we can kind of delude ourselves with this self-made God, but when everything hits the fan and you're, you know, in a gutter, look, if you just, if you have a Santa Claus God, you're in real trouble because, you, you know, 
the the existential cream rises to the top and you know it's not it's kind of a make-believe god that you've been making up and I, there's this really great scene from an old episode of er an old you know uh, drama where this man is dying of cancer and he is near the end and he has a chaplain come in and she's feeding him all kinds of like new agey uh just nonsense and platitudes and the man says no I need a real chaplain who believes in a real God and a real hell mm. because he's like, he has done something in his life that um, he it just does not know or believe that he can be atoned for. And she's just kind of giving him cliches. And he's like, I, I no, no, I know that that's not real. I need something real. Tell me the truth. And yeah, when you're in that kind of situation, where you're staring death in the face or you're staring suffering in the face. Like you need a real God and you need the, you know, in, in all his fullness, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the things that we like and don't like. And, you know, that God's presented to us in the Bible, in the fullness of God's word, and in the person of Jesus Christ, particularly as seen in his life, death, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about um, the idea of provisional grace as an important concept that you, that you had, that you clung to as you wrestled uh, through the aftermath of Cam's death. So uh, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with that term, what do you mean by provisional grace? Yeah, so when I talk about provisional grace, uh, you know, I'm referring to God's grace that he gives us every day for every situation that he brings us into. So I think one of the most, um, uh, one of the most valuable conversations I think I ever had leading up to Cam's death was a conversation I had 11 years before he died. And I was talking to um, a pastor in my church and I was, you know, I was struggling. This when I was struggling with depression and was resigning from my job, not really knowing where life was going to go. And so he's told me a story about how his wife had a medical condition where, you know, for um, a certain amount of time, and, you know, in cycles, she would be completely dependent upon him and she could not take care of herself. She couldn't get out of bed. And, um, and so when those times would come upon her, you know, he, he would have to take off work and take care of her. And this would happen, you know, at least, at least 10 times a year that she'd fall into this. And so she'd always worry about, you know, what's, what, what's going to happen to me if you die? I just can't imagine life. If you were to die, who would take care of me? And he's like, well, you, you can't imagine that because you're not in the situation. Like God only gives you grace for what he calls you to. And, you know, he hasn't called you into being a widow. But if he did, he would give you the grace to be able to imagine it. And so, you know, I know for myself, you know, before Cam died, I, I couldn't imagine losing a child. Like I had no concept that a person could survive that. But now, you know, like six and a half years later, I can't imagine that, you know. But now I can't imagine losing another child. But if that's what were to happen, uh, God forbid, God would give me the grace for that. Uh, and all of us can think about different situations where we see people struggling and suffering. You know, I, I look at people I know who have children with very severe special needs and disabilities, and I don't know how they do it. I don't, you know, I don't know how they um, how they muster up the strength and energy uh, every day to be so faithful when it's such a huge challenge and. I can't imagine that because that's not my story, but they can. I mean, I see, you know, dozens and dozens of just incredible parents 
who love their children who have significant disabilities. And it's because God gives them the grace they need every day for the thing that he calls them to. He's given them, he's called them into being a parent of a special needs child. And he's given them the grace to, to faithfully follow that calling. And so, yeah, I think with the most, the probably a, a big moment for me was I think the day after Cam died, um, a woman, um, she and her husband had lost a child and I'd, you know, they were, I think about eight years older than I, and uh, they, I was in the same church as them and their son had died suddenly when he was four months old and just kind of ran into her on, uh, on the road. Sorry. I ran into her on the road. <laughs> Not like two cars. I was walking <laughs> down the road. I was walking down the road and this woman whose name is like so poetically and perfectly angel, uh, she knew me and she was familiar with what had happened to me and uh, it was a coincidental or providential encounter. But she just said to me, look, you're going to have to ask God for the grace in the morning to make it to lunchtime. Then the lunchtime, you're going to have, God for the, you have to ask God for the grace to make it to dinnertime. And then dinnertime, you have to ask God for the grace to make it to bedtime. And at bedtime, you're going to have to ask God for the grace to fall asleep and sleep through the night. And so just this mentality of daily grace, daily mm. bread, daily help, you start to think about tomorrow or 10 years from now or 20 years from now or whatever, you're toast. Like, because, because you're not there. And so God has not given you the grace for that day. You are here now. And a good question for a person to ask themselves is like, do I believe that God can give me the grace to make it through today? Mm. Um, and the answer to that is yes. Um, he can and he will. So that connects in with um, just the broader idea of trying to understand something like this, understand uh, what it's like to go through a tragedy like this when you, you haven't actually experienced it yet. Uh, I wonder, as you think back about your worst and what you imagined your worst to be, um, and then how it actually ended up being, you mentioned one thing that um, God giving you the grace to kind of make it to the next day is something that um, you couldn't have understood beforehand. You mentioned... Uh, not losing your faith, but instead kind of clinging to those doctrines that you you knew before as something that was in some ways surprising to you. Are there any other things that stand out uh, that were surprising um, about what it was like to experience that tragedy that you just, you didn't understand or you were totally wrong on beforehand? Yeah, I'll tell you one, and it's not, it is not fun. Uh, and it's something that I'll kind of try to gently warn people of. But I was just not prepared that things were going to get worse before they got better. I kind of thought, you know, in the first week, this is as bad as it's going to get. And I, I kind of, I thought, you know, everything is just going to kind of incrementally and slowly, progressively get better uh, from here. And in reality, if you have a sudden loss, things actually kind of get worse before they get better. Why is that? What do you mean? Because of the, in the yeah, it's funny. In the early going, you're in shock. And the analogy that I kind of use to try to explain this to people, it's like a nuclear bomb has gone off in your city. And every day you get up and you walk down a street and you see, oh my goodness, this street has been completely leveled. The next morning you get up, you go down to another street and you see it's been leveled. And so when you have a sudden loss, the, you know, every day you're getting up and going down a new street and every day you're seeing that every, every house, every building has been leveled by that tragedy. And so with that being said, you know, you're getting a greater sense of the totality of your loss. You're getting a greater sense 
of just how comprehensive and far-reaching the effects of it are. And it gets harder and harder before it gets better. I kind of say it's like the first week you start walking down into a dark valley and you, you, you go down for, uh, you know, a, for several months before you start to walk out of it. And even when you're starting to walk out of it, you're still in a dark valley. You're still way down there. Um, and so I think, you know, the way I say it, I, I, because my wife and I, you know, we're um, known in our community to have lost a child. Um, you know, we are, we always have a couple that's lost a child that we're, you know, walking with and, you know, trying to, um, you know, trying to pastor to and encourage through something like this. And so the way I kind of try to gently say it is don't be surprised and don't feel bad if things get worse before they get better. Um, and that's just so that they're not caught off guard. Cause I was just so discouraged. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, how could things be worse than they were that first week? And there is nothing worse than like find, you know, getting that traumatic news and you know, those, the, that first day, nothing will ever touch that kind of trauma the first couple of days. But I was just like so discouraged and thinking like, is this only going to get worse for the rest of my life? And that's just not the case, you know, um, things will get better eventually, but you know, I just, I kind of, mm. that's something I try to do is gently warn people don't feel like you're doing it wrong or you're abnormal or um, that this is never going to get better if things kind of get worse before they get better. Yeah. Yeah. I guess keeping up with that, that metaphor of a nuclear bomb in a city, are there ever days when you find that even still you, you kind of stumble upon a, a street that you hadn't been down yet and, it, and some of these, uh, those vivid emotions come back? Yeah, that, that's a great question. It, it, it for sure, you know, it's just so, it's interesting. Um, uh, knowing what I know now, I'm, I, when I have like students in my youth group who've lost a parent, uh, when there's a big transition in life of some sort, I'll call the parents and I'll say, Hey, you need to be ready. Um, you know, a child's about to graduate and their dad died eight years ago. I'll call the mom and say, you know, this is probably this is going to stir up some grief for you. This is going to stir up some grief for your child. And, uh, and then I'll communicate that to the child. Don't be surprised if you feel some sadness and you feel some grief. Cause it's kind of like if you've ever like had a, a tweaked your ankle, <laughs> if you, if you sprain your ankle real bad once, like you're going to tweak it for the rest of your life. Hmm. And uh, you know, it's just it actually more often. And so um, yeah, you have moments where you kind of tweak your, your ankle. I know like for my wife, the beginning of school is always really sad for her. Um, she's when school is letting out and when school is getting in because Cameron never, he never made it to kindergarten. And so like when his contemporaries went to kindergarten, that was really, really sad. And that was a, you know, really sorrowful week for her in particular and for me too. Um, and anytime we send our kids to school, there is kind of this concrete reminder that, you know, he's not there. And, um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it just really, it does. It pops up at times when you really don't expect. Every time uh, my family has a place for vacation in North Carolina and anytime we're packing up to leave, I'm always a mess. Like I always cry because we went on a trip to North Carolina with him uh, the week before he died. Uh, we got home from that trip on a Friday and he died on Sunday night. And so whenever we're leaving, 
Um, North Carolina, I always start to cry. But, you know, one thing, Matt, is someone told me this. God, I had this great conversation with this man who had lost a child like 17 years old, before 17 years before Cam had died. She was about, she's, uh, she was a very young child as well. She died suddenly too. And he said, so he's talking about his daughter, Mary Catherine, uh, who had died 17 years before. And, you know, he starts to cry. We're standing in the middle of the street. This is, this is really virtually a stranger. And um, so his name is Martin. And so he's crying and he says, Cameron, you do not understand this now, but 17 years from now, uh, you will understand what a blessing uh, this moment is for me right now to cry about my daughter. He said, God will heal like 95% of your heart, but he's going to leave 5% of your heart unhealed. Uh, and that is a gift. It's a gift because when I cry about my daughter's death, I feel connected to her. And it reminds me that I still love her so much and I haven't forgotten her. And um, and so, yeah, you know, it, it is... Sometimes when you kind of, I call it ground zero moments, when you go back and you kind of feel a lot of what you felt uh, when he died, there also is still a real gratitude that God grants you those moments because you do really feel connected with your child. And it gives you a really hopeful, healthy longing uh, to be in heaven with the Lord and to be reconnected uh, with your child in heaven. So what would you say to the maybe the parent um, who, who did lose a child who is tempted to kind of, to, to, their mind goes there. It wants to go and kind of think about what life could have been like and what it would have been like, all the things that they've, they're missing out on. Would you kind of caution someone and to kind of resist that temptation? Or what would you say to that person? Yeah, I would say kind of a both and. You know, I think it's a perfectly healthy and good thing to, to mourn those things, you know, because there are things that are lost. And that is, um, completely consistent with the fall. And, and, you know, we see that it's a godly, righteous thing to lament. You see that all throughout the Old Testament in particular, um, in the Psalms and in the prophets and in lamentation. It's, yeah, I mean, lamentation is um, a good thing. And so, I, you know, I would encourage a person that it is perfect. It is, it is a God-honoring thing uh, to lament what is lost. And I think that there, you kind of cross a line or there's a little bit of danger um, when you just kind of live your whole life in the hypothetical. Um, yeah, because there, there is something very, very helpful. Uh, and this is, this is a, a maxim that comes out of AA. They say do life on life's terms and kind of maybe a more like theological or Christian way to say that is to, you know, to do life on God's terms, you know, to accept the life that God has given you. And you can only really do that if you know that he's good. And if you know that he's in control and you know that he's for you. Uh, but if you do believe that, then as awful and painful as the circumstances um, are, the reality is that's your story. And um, lament that, mourn that, feel that in every way. And in time, you know, come to a place of acceptance where you accept the story that God has written for you, accept the the path that He's called you to walk, and know that there's resurrection in that path. You know, like you're you're on the cross right now, but you know Jesus Jesus will will bring you out of the the metaphorical emotional grave, um, and bring you to you know to to know in a in a 
a very, very rich way, there's hope that you'll know the joy of the resurrected life of Christ um, as you trust God through the dark times. Mm. Yeah, so uh, what would you say to the parent listening right now who's maybe just recently um, lost a child and um, just they're kind of in that phase where they just don't know how they can possibly kind of get through this season of life. It just feels like um, there's just a wall in front of them and they can't see any further than that wall. Um, what would you say to that person right now? Yeah, I have a couple of things I would say to them. Um, I, the first thing I would say is win today. Just win today. You know, you, it, you cannot allow your mind um, to wander to tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now. I can remember thinking about, you know, what is this going to be like when his friends graduate from high school? I was looking 15 years into the future and it crushed me. I would think about what's it going to be like when my daughter, Mary Matthews, when she gets married and he's not there. And that, you know, that stuff was just so overwhelming. And so, you know, it takes us back to that whole provisional grace concept. First thing I say, and I say this to people, you know, if you work in pastoral ministry at a church, you're, you know, you're there on ground zero when bad things happen a lot. And I say the same thing over and over again. I say, you've got to focus on today. You've got to break life down into small units and just uh, trust Jesus and, and trust his grace to get you through the small, the small little chapters that, you know, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. Second thing I would say is you need to be, you need to have an honest relationship with the Lord. You need to, you cannot allow yourself to go into this uh, hyper-spiritual fake Christianity where you pretend you feel like, you know, God expects you to act like you're happy. That is not, that is not what God calls you to do. You know, like God calls you to lament, calls you to emote, he calls you to, uh, to just pour out your feelings to him. Um, if you, uh, if you don't do that, you're either going to harden your heart or you're going to become bitter uh, because you're going to be turning away from God with those feelings. So take those feelings to the Lord. He can handle it and he's going to cry with you. He's mourning with you. He's a safe person that you can express your emotions to. So I really encourage you to to to, to lament to God. Um, and the last thing I, I would just say is just keep on remembering that God is empathetic. Like He knows what you're going through. You know, Jesus lived. He 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 experienced the full spectrum of pain, suffering, betrayal um, that any person will encounter in this life. He's, you know, he is a safe audience in that way that he, he understands, you know, I think anyone who's suffering, you know, that like you really, there's a special comfort about being around people who know what you're going through. Um, I, you know, Lauren and I went on a retreat uh, that Nancy Guthrie uh, and her husband, David put on for people who've lost children. It was just so nice to be around people who knew all the feelings and knew all the crazy thoughts you had and all the, the different challenges. And, um, yeah, that was just really helpful. I, I, well, when you talk to the Lord, like the Lord is a suffering God. Suffered, you know, suffered in Jesus, but he suffers today too, like for and with his children. So um, don't don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, the Lord is empathetic, and especially mm. if you're a person who's lost children. Because, mm. you know, he's he's lost a child and, in an awful way, you know, I mean, I'm fortunate in the sense that my child just died in his sleep. My little boy went to bed one night. He woke up. Jesus was at his, it was at his, you know, the foot of his bed and Jesus took him into heaven. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's perfectly theologically accurate, but 
I mean, maybe it was angels. I don't know. But I do know that he woke up and he saw Jesus mm. <laughs> um, and, you know, and face to face. That was not, that, you know, Jesus is, I mean, sorry, God, the father's son died a violent, awful death. And he also was separated from the father. You know, he experienced the uh, pangs of hell in his death before he was resurrected. So, you know, he, you've got an empathetic God that you can really trust in something like this. Mm. So then maybe as a last question, speak to the the parent listening who, you know, they're not in that immediate aftermath of losing a child. Maybe it's been months or even years since uh, that happened. Um, and they're kind of in the, the stage that you call the long haul, so to speak. So what advice would you offer for the long haul? You know, for the long haul, I think one piece of comfort that I would offer to parents, this is more kind of like insider baseball, is that like you're never going to stop loving your child and you're always going to remember your child like vividly. I think that's a fear that I had um, is that, um, you know, that one day we just like wouldn't remember him as closely or we forget about him. We wouldn't feel as connected. And, you know, I, I like, I still, we talk about him every day in our family, every day. And, think about him. And I, in fact, as we're talking right now, I have a picture, you know, picture of him on my desk right there. Um, and so, you know, you're never going to forget your child. You're not going to lose that sense of connection and you're going to see your child one day again. Second thing I would say to a, a person in the long haul type phase is, uh, th- things are going to get better. They really will. Um, now you're going to have to trust the Lord to get you there and you're going to have to feel the feels and process the emotions. Um, but yeah, like, you're not always going to be miserable. You know, I think that especially like in the first year after your child dies, there's, there's some, some either high grade or low grade level of misery every single day. Uh, and it doesn't end the first year. Things are a little bit different the second year. Um, but yeah, you're going to, I'm, I'm a really, I'm really excited to be alive. Like I'm happy about my life. I really enjoy my family, enjoy my kids, love my job. You know, gosh, I really hope we play college football. I really hope we play college football. <laughs> <laughs> but even the fact that I just said something as shallow as that, you know, I, I can remember thinking in the month after, two months after Cam died, I was like, oh, I'm never going to be excited about anything ever again. And um, that kind of, that kind of, you know, just basic enjoyment of life, it really, it really can come back. And uh, I think it, you know, usually does come back. And so I'd say, you know, be hopeful. The Lord's a healer and he really can heal your heart and he can really bring you to a place where, um, yeah, you enjoy your life and you'll always have that wound and that'll be a part of your story that's hard, but um, it's not going to dominate your life, you know, after a number of years. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to share your story, uh, the story of your family, and uh, hopefully offer some, some real encouragement to others listening right now who are uh, dealing with a whole host of issues that are um, challenging trials and suffering, uh, reminding us of these foundational truths that we have in the Bible. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. It was really a blessing to get to talk about um, my, my little boy and to get to also just talk about the goodness of God and the healing power of God in my life. It's, a, it's really a joy to be reminded of His faithfulness. That was Cameron Cole on God's faithfulness in the midst of the tragic death of his son. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Therefore I Have Hope, 12 Truths That Comfort, Sustain, 
and redeem in tragedy. Available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.